No taxation without representation. 200 years of exploitation in the capital of this nation. No representation in the capital of this nation. 200 years of exploitation. Give the people their right to vote. Someone asked me, was it true? The voting rights of the district were long overdue. That was Sweet Honey in the Rock with Give the People Their Right to Vote. Hello and welcome to Shadow Politics, an hour-long grassroots talk show, which will attempt to shine a light on the issues that you care about. I'm your host, United States Senator Michael D. Brown, coming to you live from the District of Columbia, America's last colony. I'm joined by my co-host, Marilia Duffels, and together we hope our show will start a dialogue with America about the issues that are important to you and affect the lives of all of us. Marilia, unfortunately, had an emergency tonight, so she won't be on the show, but we're excited to have a member of Congress, my member of Congress, uh, Congresswoman Eleanor Holmes Norton. And I would give you her biography, but that would take the entire show. Let me just tell you a few of the high points. She's a law, a Yale Law School graduate, constitutional law professor in her 15th term as a member of Congress. She's been named one of the 100 most important American women and one of the most powerful women in Washington. Her work for full democracy for the people of the District of Columbia continues her lifelong struggle for universal human and civil rights. Congresswoman, welcome back to the show. Uh, we're so glad to have you. Glad to be with you. And you know what? You and I don't know that you started out this way, but I started out this way working for Jimmy Carter, a man that uh, I'm proud to say. Uh, I worked for, uh, you know, especially in light of some of the recent people that have had that office. But uh, anyway, let me ask you first um, what I think is, is an important question for us here in the District of Columbia. As you well know, Frederick Douglass wrote an important speech called What to the American Slave is Your Fourth of July? I, I wouldn't compare our, our indentured servitude or our disenfranchisement to slavery, but don't we have a, shouldn't we be asking a similar question since we're the only people in the, in a democracy that do not have the same rights as the rest of the people in that, that, uh, that government shouldn't, shouldn't, shouldn't Washingtonians be saying the same thing? Well, it's a fair question. Uh, when you pay the highest federal taxes per capita and don't have uh, full representation in the House and no representation in the Senate, um, uh, Frederick Douglass would look at Washington and see in us a reflection of what he spoke of. And. Do you think that there's a movement now in, you know, on the eve of the 4th of July, are we moving backwards? Are we moving backwards with uh, uh, the recent decision in the Supreme Court 
uh, which, you know, I got to tell you, every woman in my family is just irate about the fact that 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 these people are overturning Roe versus Wade. And uh, is, is that an effort on the part of conservatives in America to push us back 50 years, do you think? Well, the, the Supreme Court uh, is certainly pushing us back in a series of decisions, and Roe versus Wade is an important indication of that. Uh, but um, in st- there are states, we're going to have a harder time, but there are states who are going to be able to maintain um, their rights um, because well, about half of the about half the states, it seems to me, have a good chance. Of course, the district uh, is always under the thumb of the Congress, and will have a harder time. Well, we see this. I mean, now that you brought up the states, I've got to tell you, this is probably the most absurd thing that I've heard in a long time. But there, and I don't know if you you've heard this because it's just been reported. But the Texas Tribune reports that a group of educators has recommended to the school board, which adjusts the curriculum uh, for schools in Texas every ten years. They've suggested that uh, with their new approach of not saying things that make people feel uncomfortable that they should teach elementary school children, they should change slavery to involuntary relocation. Now, if this was was a Saturday night... Wait, 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 uh, relocation where? From Africa? I guess, you know, it makes it sound like, it makes it sound like maybe they built houses too close to a nuclear power plant or something, and we asked them to move. I mean, if this were a Saturday Night Live sketch, you would laugh at it. But unfortunately, unfortunately, this is serious. And, And I think, and I don't know, you know, you know better than I, but but I think this is that the Supreme Court decision for this, and as you point out, other things like carry laws, and 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 other things that are changing. I think this is emboldened them to think that they can do this kind of ridiculous stuff. Uh, and and I don't know what liberals have to do. To do you think this is a reaction to the fact that we're trying to push in the other direction? That we're tearing down monuments of people that you know have been glorified in our history but have actually worked against uh, African-Americans, for example. Do you think that this is their reaction to that, that they're pushing back, or that they just feel emboldened by people like uh, uh, Justice Thomas, and they figure this is the way they can can move their agenda forward? They're emboldened by um, the majority they have achieved. Um, in the in the uh, on the court, mm. uh, that's what's emboldening them to uh, take these decisions uh, that carry us back to uh, 
the 19th century. It's incredible to me. And, you know, we saw a reaction in America to uh, racism when we saw uh, things like the incident with George Floyd. But now we're seeing or we're, we're seeing it raise its ugly head. Do you think that it's always been there and it's just coming to the surface again? Or is there that a what new... has always been there? I'm sorry. That right. what has always been there. That that racism that, that we that racism that we just pushed oh. it down, you know, like they used to say, you know, that that we talked to talk but we didn't walk the walk, you know. Uh, do you think we've just pushed it underground and now it's coming back? We certainly see, for example, in Buffalo, that those people that were killed that that was a an incident of racism. We don't know about Uvalde, Texas, I guess. What, because they were all brown-skinned children, whether that was an act of racism. But we certainly have seen Charlottesville, uh, Charleston, all these incidents in the past few years. Are we, is, does there need to be a new civil rights movement that involves us all, like the civil rights movement that you were involved in in the South? Do, is that what we need in America? Do we all need to stand up again? Um, and how do we do that? Well, r racism was born with the country itself, so it's never gone away. Uh, we mute it, um, but uh, as we saw in, in Buffalo, uh, where it reared its head, <laughs> you will not replace us. Uh, and uh, was uh, clear, cl perhaps more clear about racism than any incident that I can recall. Mm. Yeah, it, it's uh, you know, it, it certainly seems to me that that um, the uh, it's it's hard for me to talk about, to be honest, because I am a clear beneficiary. Of, of racism in America. I am an orphan. I dropped out of high school, worked my way through college and graduate school, uh, and I had all sorts of opportunities because my parents were smart enough before they both passed away uh, when I was a teenager to bring me to Montgomery County, Maryland, which was a nice white suburban community. You know it well. And there were a lot of people that helped me. And I used to go back to my hometown of North New Jersey and see how African-Americans were, were treated. And I realized right away that that I had been moved to a place which which promoted me and helped me. And and, you know, I might have not otherwise made it. You know, when I lived in Newark, uh, Congresswoman, they were the, they had the highest African American population in America, but I never saw a black policeman, never had a black teacher, never saw a black person in a, a government job. And when I came to Maryland, I realized that I had not only been a beneficiary of being white, but also of being male. And so it's hard for me to talk about this, but it's something that's yeah, but you you also you also lost both your parents and that is a a huge death um, that 
uh, I think African Americans, in their own way, would uh, would would, uh, would 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 understand. Oh, and, you're absolutely. Because that 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 is huge. Well, you're absolutely right about that. I got to tell you, and I don't know that my listeners will understand this really, but you'll understand it. When I come to Ward Three. People ask me what I've done for them lately. When I go to Ward 8, the first thing people say to me is, thanks for coming. Uh, They, you know, (laughs) it's absolutely true. You know, they're appreciative that you've just shown up for them. Uh, Here we have such, in my, for our listeners, Ward 3 is one of the wealthiest wards in the city, and and Ward 8 is is probably the poorest. And and in Ward 3, we have a a sense of entitlement that they don't seem to have in Ward 8, that they feel like they want your help, but they they appreciate you coming. Um, So, yeah, I think you're right about that. you know the the biggest issue for for me, the only issue for me, and 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 a major issue for you, is statehood for the District of Columbia. Uh, you have passed, uh, you've gotten passed a bill in the House of Representatives for the second time, um, a bill for DC statehood. It passed with 216 Democrats. And now sits in the Senate with 47 co-sponsors, which is the highest amount of co-sponsors we've ever had. We wish we could talk uh, the uh, Democrat from West Virginia who, you know, I'm really not sure why he's a Democrat uh, because he acts like a Republican. <laughs> but we can't get because he's Senator from a Republican Man- state. He is from a Republican state. But we all remember Senator Byrd, don't don't we, don't we, uh, Congresswoman? And, and as a Democrat, uh, he was a little different and a little more supportive than uh, Senator Manchin. And we also have Senator, we also have Senator Kelly, which surprises me because his wife supported the D.C. Voting Rights Act. Did she not when she was in Congress? And 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 we also have uh, Senator Cinema, who seems to be, you know aligned with Senator Manchin, will never get this bill through the United States Senate unless we can suspend the filibuster. And it, it seems and to me... And you see that the president is trying to suspend the filibuster now right. on at least one issue. Yes. Uh, and if we suspend it on one, maybe it will be on its last legs. Well, let's hope for that. And if you could suspend it, what more basic thing, you know, if you can't suspend it for the basic right of people to vote, to have a vote in both houses of their legislature, uh, what can you suspend it for? I mean, it seems to me that that's the most basic thing, you know, that's the most basic issue that you have in a democracy, right? Thomas Jefferson said citizen was the most important uh, the most important distinction in uh, a democracy. And if we don't have full citizenship, uh, we'll never be full participants in our democracy. So if you can't suspend it for that, I can't imagine what other thing you can suspend it for. And I hope you're right. Uh, 
that maybe this is the beginning of the end for that. Because well, we I have done think... very well uh, on statehood. Uh, this Congress, I'm worried that we'll lose the House. Yes. Uh, but we did pass the statehood bill, as you indicated, twice. Um, got a hearing in the Senate. And I, I'm all set to get another hearing in the Senate. So I think, as with everything in the Congress, you have to just keep pushing well, until you, you finally know, push it out. Well, the first thing that you ever said to me in the first meeting that we ever had with a group in your office has stuck with me, and I try to think of it every day, that nothing is generated. You said nothing is generated within the walls of Congress. It comes from pressure from the outside. <laughs> you know, that, that's what makes it happen, right? It's not, I mean, not to take, look, I, I love that, that, that you are kind enough to share credit for what happened in the House with advocates who have been advocating for this for years. But those of us that are involved know that more than anything, it was your effort over the years that allowed that made that thing happen, made the passage of uh, H.R. 51 a reality. So uh, what do we do about pressure from the outside? We're not, it seems to me that we're not putting any pressure from the outside. You know, we had the only Republican in the history of America to ever vote for D.C. statehood, a guy that I know you know, Wayne Gilchrist from Maryland, who, by the mm -hmm. way, is still out there, out there fighting the good fight. He's he's trying to clean up the Chesapeake Bay. He must be well into his 80s. But we had him on the show. He's the only Republican in in 40 years of this battle that's ever supported D.C. statehood. I meet with these people as much as I can. The last senator I met with face to face was Susan Collins of Maine, and she she told me retrocession. You know, which is a red herring, is it not? We, 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 oh, it sure is. But remember this. Remember how statehood occurred for every state. It occurred because there was one Democratic territory and one Republican territory. Every single state came into the Union uh, because of that uh, op uh, uh, opposition. We don't have another state. And yet, and this is what's really important, in a very, de a very detailed poll was shown that showed that 54% of the American people support statehood for the District of Columbia. And that's without another state to team up with. Well, what about Puerto Rico? Do we need to team up with Puerto Rico? As you probably know, they've elected a delegation like the delegation that we have here in Washington, and that's been used several times under what we uh, generally refer to as the Tennessee plan. Do we have to partner with Puerto Rico, who, who certainly have more Republicans? Let me tell you, one of the things that astounds me is that you supported their bill, but we can't get the, the 
the Puerto Rican, uh, you know, member of Congress who we've talked to several times to support our bill. Did she support the the DC voting? I mean, the uh, HR. Well, I don't know because she can't HR vote 15. on on it. Oh, right, you're right. She can't she can't vote on it, but she's never been vocal about it either. Uh, and and no, she hasn't been, but. Uh, but as for statehood for Puerto Rico, that's that's very iffy because uh, they're divided on whether they want statehood. Uh, it barely passes yeah. uh, in their referenda and in, in the referenda they've had on statehood. And I think our trepidation, we certainly, our delegation has met with their delegation, but our trepidation is also understanding that they would get six six members of the House of Representatives uh, based on their population, and they would also come in as the poorest state by far in the union because uh, their uh, income uh, is uh, half of what Mississippi's is, which is hard to believe. Their their you know average income for, for people in Puerto Rico. So that, you know, we've always seen that as a as an encumbrance that they would, uh, you know, they would come in as a poorest state and they would get so many representatives uh, because their population yeah. is, is, is so large. Uh, we, on the other hand, are one of the richest jurisdictions. We also say, we often say, as you said early on, that we pay the highest taxes in America. That's because we're the wealthiest people in America. We're also the most educated people in America. More people in Washington, D.C. have graduate degrees than any other jurisdiction in, 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 in America. But, um, you know, it seems to me, it seems to me that we don't put a lot of effort into garnering support from other Amer Americans. We leave, we kind of leave it up to you. We put the burden on your shoulders to make it make it work. Well, but it's very hard for 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 residents to to somehow get people outside of uh, the city. Um, you know, uh, we 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 have DC Vote, um, which who spreads the word, but it's very difficult to get people who are not in the District of Columbia to make. The, statehood for the District of Columbia, a primary issue. But isn't that how the, you did it in the civil rights movement? Wasn't it fire hoses, uh, pictures of fire hoses and, and dogs attacking uh, young black students that got America to stand up and say enough is enough? Don't we need to, you know, we're going to have a 4th of July celebration tomorrow, uh, uh, Congresswoman. The entire uh, you know, country will be focused on the District of Columbia for this great holiday, which, by the way, Washingtonians fully support. I mean, you know, we we serve and then we not only pay the highest taxes, we serve in the military at the highest, you know, at higher than the national average. We had more casualties per capita in the Vietnam War than almost any state. Uh, we're loyal American citizens, but yet 
there's not going to be a word about statehood tomorrow. There's not going to be a commercial. There's, you know, there'll be commercials during the presentation. There won't be a commercial. There won't be a sign. There won't be a protest because the city leaves it up to you. They don't, they don't put money into this. They don't even support our delegation. You know, we're the only delegation uh, in, in recent history that hasn't been paid. The Alaskan uh, shadow senators got paid. They call us shadow senators, to, even though that's not our title, to diminish our effectiveness. They send the mayor at the last Senate hearing, Senator, uh, a Congresswoman, we had more than 150 people call the committee and demand that we're allowed to speak, and they don't let us speak. They send our two most compromised lobbyists, the mayor and the, the chairman of the city council, who have to ask Congress for hundreds of millions of dollars up there to explain what every member of Congress knows. Every member of Congress, and you know this, uh, knows that this is wrong and knows that it's not unconstitutional. Constitution just says, you're the constitutional expert, but my understanding is it says exclusive legislation in all cases whatsoever, which means that they can take our rights away, but they can also restore them. Is that not true? Of course. And we don't do anything on the outside, it seems to me, to push for this. We call it the mayor and the chairman, call it a uh, uh, a priority, and look, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to put them down for the, for their effort. I'm just saying that we need to adjust things. But they call it a priority, and yet they spend a hundred million dollars on on affordable housing and over a billion dollars on education. Now we all care about education and affordable housing, but shouldn't we spend more than the two hundred and fifty thousand dollars we spend a year on statehood? Don't we need to do that to garner support? Well, it would certainly help. Yeah, I, I think you're everything, right. Everything, everything, uh, money talks in Congress. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And by the way, while we're on the subject, let me thank you on behalf of Mrs. Brown and I, because one of the main things that you've done over the years is you uh, brought forth a program called TAG, uh, uh, Tuition Assistance Grants. And two yeah. of my three children... Two of my three children took advantage of that. Uh, oh, where did one, they go to college? Well, one of them went to Towson University here outside of Baltimore, and, and another right. one went to Evergreen State uh, University in uh, uh, Oregon. Um, and, I'm glad to uh, hear that, that they, they were able to take advantage of it. Oh, my God. And my daughter went to DePaul, which was a private school. And 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 I got to tell you, me and Mrs. Brown, because she was accepted to some public schools, we uh, we, we ruminated about it. But she she got a scholarship, so we figured, well, she's getting a, a partial scholarship. That's almost the same as getting a tag money. But you know, I have <laughs> I I retired twelve years ago and do this full time, and and in that twelve years, all three of my kids went to college. So without that. Forty thousand dollars. That well, that, they went to college after you retired. Yeah, and the only way oh, they made it through 
was because of that tag. If they didn't have that tag money, they would be seriously in debt right now. Even though Mrs. Brown and I, this is remarkable to me. Mrs. Brown and I paid um, uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of $200,000 after taxes to put the three of them to school. But each one of them took out $5,000 a year in student loans. So that... That money that they got from the from the the government, thanks to your efforts, really made the difference between. Now all we have to do is find them jobs. You know, you know. Uh, <laughs> now that they've graduated from college, uh, uh, <clears throat> they're all working, fortunately. But but two of them are are, are not working at what they they want to do. I think. Um, but that's okay. They'll, they'll they'll get there. And and thanks well, again for your support. And there's so many people that you've helped. I mean, I, I, that this program has helped, not just people like us, because we probably would have found a way, they would have taken out more loans, and we were going, but there are a lot of people in Washington, D.C. that wouldn't have otherwise gone to college. And, and one thing I didn't mention when I talked about my past is that I was a high school dropout. When I was 16 years old, I acted out and, and I dropped out of high school and uh, I now have a master's degree. I went back to school and got a master's degree at the University of Maryland in public policy. And I think how different my life would have been if I had remained someone without, a, you know, without a college education, without a high school education. And, um, you know, it really changed my life in, in every way that it could be changed. And so that program you know, I I hope you you take pride in the fact that there are many young people in Washington in Washington that have a better life because of what you've done. But um, you know, again, I don't know what we can do to support uh, um, you know our efforts from the outside. But I think we need to think of of ways. And I've tried. You know, I put up billboards in in. Uh, uh, when we went to uh, uh, Charlotte uh, for the convention, I now have a sign that's, uh, oh, it's about six feet by four feet in my front yard because I am the first house that you pass uh, when you come into the District of Columbia, Congresswoman. When you come down Massachusetts <laughs> Avenue, my house is the very first house, you know, and, and I live on Western Avenue with some uh, separates the district from Maryland. And I often say if I ever wrote an autobiography, it would be entitled Disenfranchised by Inches because, you know, <laughs> if I could put my house across the street, you know, I, I wouldn't. So I put this sign up and in big red letters, it says, warning, you are entering the District of Columbia, the nation's capital. Residency here may result in the loss of your basic civil rights the loss of your rights do not remove your obligations to the state for which you may be liable. And you know what? When we put it up, I said to I said to my wife, oh, my God, the neighbors are going to complain about this. But it's been up for a year and not one neighbor has complained about it. They've all, you know, many people have applauded it. Many people stand in front of it and take pictures. So we have. What, what, what do you have up in front of your house? This uh, sign, is, uh, uh, the, uh, it's like a welcome sign to the District of Columbia. 
but it warns you if you live here, you're going to lose your basic civil rights. And, oh, and it, sits, it sits in, on my front yard. I mean, you can't miss it. I live on Westmoreland Circle. You can't miss it when you come in. The, and not one neighbor has said anything negative about it. I've, I've gotten a lot of people that, that say, great, that's a great idea, you know. And it just occurred to me because they give us so little resources that I've always tried to figure out what can I do to get the word out because that's such an important thing. And when I realized our house was the first house you came in when you came in the District of Columbia, and, and you know what? I'm going to propose, and I don't know whether they'll do this or not, but I'm going to propose to the city council, and hopefully a city council member would take this on, that this be a codicil on every uh, real estate contract, that you need to initial it and say, yes, I understand that if I move from any state in the United States to the District of Columbia, I'm not going to be represented the way I should be represented in Congress. Now, I don't know if we can get them <laughs> to do that. I, I think the real estate people might have a problem with that. Uh, but uh, I think we need to move forward. And I think we need to, you know, it seems it really bothered me. And I wrote an article for the Washington Post. Uh, I think they published it online where when we talked about the uh, voting rights acts that were recently before the United um, uh, the United States Senate, and we didn't mention the District of Columbia. It bothered me that, that there were people all over the country talking about how important it was to pass these two voting rights pieces of legislation, neither one of which passed in the Senate, both of which passed in the House, uh, um, and never, you know, because we didn't want to disenfranchise African Americans in Georgia and Alabama and Mississippi, but nobody said anything about the 350,000 African Americans that live in the District of Columbia that have been disenfranchised. So I don't know what we have to do as a government, not you, because you've obviously done an amazing job getting this legislation passed. But how do we get people? You know, it just bothers me that we don't put any money into it to get people to support your efforts. So I don't know what next steps are, but what do you think next steps are for us? Well, having having gotten the statehood bill done in the House, uh, that's a historic step, never done before. And what we've got to do now is to build on that. Do we go? You know, it seems to me it wouldn't cost a lot to get a few buses together and go over to West Virginia. And, you know, I don't want to stand outside of Senator Manson's house, but uh, uh, who probably lives in Bethesda anyway. But but I, I, I think we, you know, maybe we should put up a few billboards in West Virginia. Maybe we should remind them because, you know, I remember during the D.C. Voting Rights Act that we brought in someone to testify at one of your hearings who was a veteran who had dual citizenship between Iraq and the United States. And he had fought with the Marine Corps, I think, uh, in, if, I'm, uh, if I'm recalling it correctly, in either Afghanistan or Iraq. And he said, I have representation in Iraq, but I don't have representation in the United States. 
So maybe we need to put up a few billboards in 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 uh, West Virginia with D.C. veterans uh, saying, "Shouldn't I have the same rights you have?" Um, I don't know, but but I think I think we really need to get out there, and we've tried. You know that our representative Oye uh, Olawalawa has been to West Virginia. And my colleague, Paul Strauss, has started Iowans for D.C. statehood. You would not believe how active they are, um, um, Congresswoman. It, oh, it's that's just amazing. Yeah. And we've mm. got Nevadans for D.C. statehood and Californians for D.C. statehood. But most of them are, are, are college that, 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 that All of that's very helpful. Well, we, we hope. And, and, those and, the Iowans, and the Iowans have just taken it on with a passion, you know, that they got every Democrat who ran for president. And if you remember, there were a lot of them in the primaries. They got every one of them to sign an agreement that they support D.C. statehood. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. During Mm -hmm. the Iowa caucuses. And and we're lucky enough that the chairman of that whole uh, thing is the former uh, head of the Democratic Party in Des Moines. She was the, the chairman of the, of the Des Moines Democratic Party, and that's ground zero during the Iowa caucuses. So, so she's been a she's been a great help. Well, you know, as we celebrate our democracy tomorrow, which which we'll all do. I don't know if you're in any parades. I'm in a parade. Uh, I I had foot surgery, so someone's been kind enough to donate a, a, a convertible that I can ride in. Uh, so, you, you know, I know you've been in the Palisades Parade before and we throw, yeah. we throw, we throw candy to children and, and it, it's a great celebration because it, it's really a throwback. Everybody gets together. And by the way, <laughs> let me invite anybody that's out there to come. It starts at noon and we all end up in Palisades Park and we have hot dogs and watermelon and bad music. There's always a bad band, and uh, we commune with each other. So it's a great, it's a great celebration. Of course, on the mall we'll have a, an amazing uh, celebration as well. And and I think that um, it would be great if, as American citizens, we could be uh, fully uh, immersed in it and and be equal participants uh, again. To quote uh, the great Frederick Douglass, uh, this day more than any other reveals the gross injustice uh, of our captivity. And he was referring to slaves, of course, and and not the people of Washington, D.C. But I think there is a there is certainly a a similar uh, sentiment here in the district. Uh, now, first, now let me also say happy birthday to you. I know your birthday was last month, and oh, uh, thank you. <laughs> and congratulations, you you squeaked by in the primary with I think ninety four percent of the voter or something like that. <laughs> You're the most popular politician in the history of the District of Columbia. You've gotten more votes than you got more votes than Obama got. You got a higher percentage of vote in the District of Columbia than Obama got when, when the two of you ran at the same time. So, uh, you know, you're amazing. And I want to tell you this, too. The, the uh, um, 
the Capitol Hill newspaper roll call asked me in an interview one time, they said, if you really want to work on DC statehood, instead of running for the office you have, why don't you run against Eleanor Holmes Norton? And my response to that was, if I ran against Eleanor Holmes Norton, I would vote for Eleanor Holmes Norton because <laughs> you, 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 you really, you, you really are. I don't know how we got you, uh, Congresswoman, but you've just done an incredible job. And I always had great respect for you, but no more than, than I've had since I've had this job and been able to sit on the sidelines and look at you uh, up close and see uh, what a challenge it must be to represent us without a floor vote. Uh, I know that you have many, you, there's many things you can do in Congress and committee. You can, you can, um, you can put forth legislation, you can vote in committee, you can do well, everything, everything a member of Congress can do except a floor vote, which is, which is so yeah. important. But, um, yeah, I remember. Yeah, I'm, I'm, try, I'm, I'm trying to become chair of a full committee this, this term, too. I can do that. Well, we ought to be able to figure out a way to support you in that effort, too. I hope we are. Uh, I remember standing up and being arrested in a committee meeting that you had being removed uh, with a gag over my mouth with, with several other people because there was some issue that only affected the District of Columbia and the committee refused to allow you to speak to that issue. We, we were flabbergasted by that. And, and you know, and uh, I remember that uh, some people from D.C. Vote, I think, and from other organizations, we all stood up. And actually, just to, to finish that story, they removed like eight of us from the from the uh, from the hearing and they were going to arrest us. But they didn't have any way to transport us. So they let us go. You know, and they said <laughs> it's funny because I because I heard on the radio, I just happened to be at the end of the line. And I heard the police officer talking on the radio saying, well, what do you mean you don't have a transport vehicle? There's no way to transport these people, blah, blah, blah. And then they came over and they said, well, since you didn't do anything really mean or, or, or nasty, we're just going to let you go. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it, it, it's just amazing. It also amazed me with how effective you are that um, – they there was so much resistance to the DC Voting Rights Act that would have given you a vote and would have given uh, an additional vote to the state of Utah would have given them an additional uh, uh, member of Congress and you know it was amazing to me that they put up so much resistance to that because you were so effective without a vote anyway it seems like it, it wouldn't have been uh, a, a big reach on their part. And as you say, you know, uh, there would have been a Republican involved too. So, uh, I don't, uh, you know, I just hope we push, uh, for you to be a, a committee chairperson, uh, because I think that would be a, a great move for us. Well, we're running out of time here. Uh, and we don't want to take up too much of your time, Congresswoman, but is there anything that, that you'd like to say that we haven't talked about? Well, I think you've covered the waterfront. 
and I so appreciate the way you are educating uh, our citizens on uh, all the issues. Well, we, we that that that's really it's been my honor to do this. You know, I was lucky enough again, as I told you, to to get a good education, and I started my own consulting firm. I've worked on uh, more than a half a dozen presidential campaigns, and was able uh, uh, to make enough money that at 50, 53 years old, I, I retired and decided to just do this uh, full time. That's amazing. So, yeah. So we do it, and 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 there's so many people out there that that we could give credit to, you, you know, you know, their names as well as I do. And, uh, so again, Congressman Eleanor Holmes Norton, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. I wish you a happy fourth. Are you in any parades tomorrow? I'm not going to go in any parades tomorrow. I usually go in the one yeah. on, um, uh, 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 I forget its name. The uh, Capitol Hill one, one up Barrett's row. Or the Palisade no, one? Uh, not that one. Um, there's another one um, in Ward 8, but I'm not going on any of those parades in this heat. <laughs> yeah. Well, I got to tell you, we had a, I had my great nephew in town for a few days, and we took him around, him and a buddy. They were college students, and we showed them our beautiful city. And uh, I took him to a baseball game uh, yesterday. One of them is a college uh, is plays baseball for his college team. He's a pitcher, and they couldn't even make it through the whole game. It was so hot, and they were 20 years yeah. old, and and they were standing up. <laughs> uh, we got great seats down front, you know, and they were standing up under the shade because it was so hot. They couldn't. Yeah, so I don't blame you, but I know you'll be there in spirit, and I wish you the happiest of July 4th, and 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 I hope that. Together, we can put some pressure on our friends in the D.C. government to put some more money into this, and we can move this forward. And I thank you for everything you've done for the citizens of the District of Columbia. It's been so good to be with you. Thank you for having me, and thank you for all you are doing for statehood. Thanks. We'll talk again soon, I hope. All right. Thank you, Madam Chairman. I hope I get to call you that soon. <laughs> I hope so, too. Right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that was Congressman Eleanor Holmes Norton, and we're let her go a little early tonight because uh, we know that she's very busy. I want to, uh, if her staff is listening, I want to thank them for their help in arranging all this because, you know, as a member of Congress, um, She's, uh, uh, you know, she's got a busy schedule. Um, uh, but I want to talk for a few minutes because I have a profound belief in the goodness that is America. You know, I told, I said earlier that I was a high school dropout. I was an orphan. I got to work my way through college and graduate school which, by the way, if there are any college students out there, uh, I want you to know that it costs me about $2,000 a year to do that, $2,000. It really bothers me that uh, young people that try to do that today have to put themselves into years and years of debt 
when I got out of college, uh, I had a, when I got out of graduate school, I had a debt of less than $3,000, uh, which they allowed me to pay, I think over five years at an interest rate of 2%. So I don't know how we can get back to those days, but I hope we can. But the point of telling you all this is that I believe in my heart that there's no place in the world where I could have gone from being a high school dropout to having an elected office, citywide elected office, as, um, um, you know, your United States senator. And I'm so grateful to that for that. And I so much love my country. I put my hand over my heart when they bring out the flag. I stand up for everybody that's ever uh, put on a uniform and protected me and my family and our rights. That includes my brother, Paul, who was a, a decorated combat veteran, all the way back to my great, 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 great grandfather, Joel Prescott, who served in the Revolutionary Army during the uh, Revolution, Continental Army rather, during the Revolutionary War, where he enlisted at the age of 17. So uh, I, I, for everybody out there that's ever worn the uniform, I want to say thank you for your service. Uh, tomorrow is your day uh, more than anybody else's. And as we celebrate all the things that are great about America, we, sh we also celebrate you. I'd like to say, however, and I just touched on this with the Congresswoman, I didn't get into it uh, um, because it, it really uh, deals more with the city government than it deals with her. But the truth of the matter is that I've been elected to represent you and the people in this city don't allow that to happen. And by the, by the way, when I say the people, I mean the people in city government. Uh, I and my colleagues, the members of our delegation, our uh, other United States Senator, Paul Strauss, and our representative, Oye Olawalawa, uh, are the only city-wide elected officials in the District of Columbia who are not paid. We are also the only city elected, citywide elected officials that are not allowed to raise matching funds for our campaigns, even though the last man that ran against me spent over $200,000 campaigning. This is a real office. Uh, it's, it's, we, 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 we're, our requirements to take this office are more stringent than the requirements to become mayor. Yet the people in the city council and, and, and the people with money in the District of Columbia, primarily the city council, uh, refuses to support us, refuses to fund us, and, and in the end, unfortunately, refuses to fund our, uh, our efforts sufficiently. We get about $225,000 a year to run three offices and to make you a state. And that's just not enough. 
millions and millions and millions of dollars were put into the civil rights movement in the South. Uh, Ralph Nader, who was a guest on our show, uh, was uh, estimates that we have to put $10 million a year into this effort. The same estimate was made by the people at um, DC Appleseed, which is a public interest group that keeps an eye on issues of equity and uh, uh, democracy in our city. They've also estimated $10 million a year. So we need to work with a budget of $19 billion to allow this effort to go forth with more than a handful of volunteers. Because as Congressman Norton said, nothing is ever generated inside the walls of Congress. It all comes from pressure on the outside. So with that, I leave you and I hope that you will join with me um, in, in trying to make our democracy work. We're going to have an event on August 11th at the Arena Stage where there'll be a play about Frederick Douglass. It's the anniversary of when he made his first great speech. For those of you out there that want to join us, I hope you'll, you'll uh, come to our uh, website, uh, statehood now.org where you can get information on how you can attend and uh, with that I leave you as you know we always leave with the song so this goes out to Congressman Norton here's Mariah Carey with Hero happy 4th of July